listening to the Getting Smart Podcast, where we unpack what is new and innovative in education. This is Jessica, and on this week's episode, we'll hear from Emily and Adam on our team, who recently sat down to chat about school coaching. As more and more schools work to shift their models of teaching and learning, we think coaching is a key part of driving change. Let's listen in to learn more from Emily and Adam. Hey, Adam. Um, Thanks for joining the Getting Smart Podcast again. Last time we chatted, we talked a little bit about design thinking and your work in schools. And in conversations with you and seeing you in action, I learned that not only have you spent the past few decades working on some form of design thinking in schools, but also done a lot of coaching. I've seen coaching done really well. I've been a coach for a little bit myself and maybe wasn't the most effective. Um, But know that when it is done well, it can be a really transformative thing for educators who are being coached or who are being um, the coaches themselves. So we'd love to just go deep and unpack a little bit about what you know and what you've done in the school coaching space. All right, so let's just start way back when, a long time ago when you began, say over 18 years ago. What did school coaching look like? Yeah, it was uh, in the beginning. I remember having uh, my first year teaching, uh, like a kind of first year teacher kind of support program. But what I found rather quickly was that it was uh, the frequency uh, wasn't wasn't really enough to provide that kind of real time uh, in the trenches, need it now feedback. Uh, but I was pretty fortunate to work with. Uh, a team of teachers that uh, sort of filled that gap in a in a very uh, informal coaching role. Co- coaching and mentoring to me a lot of times have have some neat parallels. So really, that that was sort of my beginnings with that. I also coached athletics, and so being of that mindset really translates into being in the classroom uh, in not only having productive conversations with my with my colleagues but also that self-reflective piece and I think I think that's that's another uh, sort of precursor to any coaching initiative or any any rollout um, of an intentionally designed uh, coaching model but yeah it's been fun to watch it evolve and uh, in a lot of different districts and different scenarios in terms of how they're how they're doing it when I started, you mentioned mentorship. I had a mentor, and it was part of this program that was in my district. And every year, you know, she came three times a year. And like you said, it wasn't very frequent. And she taught 20 years before that and wasn't a full-time staff member. So while I had amazing kind of social and emotional conversations with her about how I was doing in my first year, the coaching on my actual practice, instructional practice, was somewhat lacking. Not her fault necessarily, right, but just she was only supposed to come three times a year. Do you feel that that was kind of consistent with what you experienced and with what you were seeing, you know, two decades decades ago in school coaching? Yeah, I, I do. And I think I think it's kind of fun in our last conversation around design thinking, there's a lot of crossover within that world also. You know, for me, coaching – it's kind of based on that empathy piece, and I remember, in very similar to what you described, uh, there was this this common ground where where they wanted to be there, and, and all their intentions were right in terms of wanting to support me as I 
as I grew into, into my teaching role. Um, but there was a little bit of disconnect in terms of, of they'd been in the game and they'd kind of learned those lessons and um, couple that or sprinkle innovations and, and new practices and, and things like that into it. Uh, I think there was a disconnect and sometimes difficult specific to the teaching side of things for them to see kind of where I might be coming from. And so, yes, yes, very, very similar to what you described. Intentions were all good. It was fun to have that relationship, but in terms of coaching my my growth as an educator, um, it was in that that daily reflective, real time conversations and, and coaching mm-hmm. pieces. And you are an incredibly reflective, you know, practitioner and colleague. Did that fuel some of your desire to want to see change in the coaching space and to want to be a coach yourself? It did, and I think I think that's a driver in learning as a whole. So so you see something, um, especially if you embrace kind of like that solution mindset. So, okay, great. It's not working and I can, I can do one of two things. I can either complain that it's not working or I can start design thinking literally solutions to, to what it could look like, whether that be on a large scale or personalized at, at an individual level. And I think that was uh, definitely the beginnings of, of sort of trying to transform or reform um, what that aspect of, of teaching for learning uh, looked like in my world. That's a great way to say it. it's like assessment for learning, teaching for learning. So what have you seen change? So we kind of started with this. Someone comes in every once in a while and coaches me a little bit or mentors me. But then over your time in school, you know, how did that evolve? and kind of unfold to be uh, what you see to be as good coaching models today? Yeah, I've, uh, in other experiences, I've kind of described my path, and, and it was fun that in my third year of teaching, uh, I had the opportunity to go to uh, a brand-new high school that had not been opened yet um, that was in partnership with the Bill and Melinda Gates Small Schools kind of initiative, um, and got front loaded with a ton of professional development um, that was all uh, best practice, you know, you know, on the cusp of innovation and 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 just new new approaches to learning. Um, and within that staffing model at that school, uh, we actually had very uh, very transparent instructional coaches uh, within each small academy, and and so. Um, not only was it was it drilled down to where uh, the the ratio was a little bit cleaner to receive some of that support, but there was intentionality in sort of um, identifying an individual as this go-to instructional coach um, that was also aligned with um, kind of putting your money where your mouth is. So, so this individual is now an instructional coach within this academy, and we have freed up a, a decent portion of their day to do that work. Um, I think. And is that person someone that you had? I think relationships from my coaching experiences have been key. Uh, and sometimes you'd have an IA or someone come in who there wasn't an existing relationship with, and that felt tricky at times. I've seen it be really successful, and I've also seen it flop. But would you say that what you just described was really dependent on that strong relationship between who, you and that person who was coming in or, or working with you? Yeah, she totally nailed it. And I think that, I think that's one of my biggest reflections was that the, the individual that I was 
with um, in that scenario was probably one of the best teachers I have ever met holistically. Um, however, there were uh, there was a coach in a different academy, so I didn't have a ton of interaction. But as I transitioned um, to support some of that work, had more interactions, and they may have been one of the most brilliant teachers I've ever worked with. However, uh, lacked that ability to create meaningful relationships, um, and and in reflection and, and getting to be an observer in that process and just really examine the model collaboratively, like even with my colleagues, um, it was interesting to see the, the traction and the growth and the gains, um, how different it was between those two two individuals. Um, mm-hmm. ar- arguably equally skilled or, or perhaps even even one of them being more skilled, um, but lacked that, that relationship component. Um, and 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 certainly didn't make uh, the gains in terms of growing not only individual teachers' ability to to teach, but but I think also the cultural component that comes with with relationships. Absolutely, and I in some of your description of what you're saying, effective coaching felt like to you, and then what you think it looks like in practice. I've heard you say observation reflection, relationships. So what are some of the other things you think are really key to effective coaching? And I'll I'll add one. I'll share an example. I think one of my most effective coaches was a guy named Hans Westerkamp, and he just really helped me in, in my instructional practices. He wasn't actually from the U.S., and so he had this uncanny ability to see things from a different perspective. Really, it was an innate ability, right, because he wasn't from the U.S. And so he did a really good job of being objective about what he was seeing in my classroom and then allowing me to kind of reveal for myself and reflect, right, reflect on what I was doing. And then he'd come back in with some objective goals, things I could work on, um, and some kindness, right, and some grace especially when I was working on something that was challenging or things weren't going so well. So I'll stop talking. You said observation, reflection. What else would you add to that list of effective um, coaching skills? Yeah, I I think those are all spot on. I think the the one that oftentimes doesn't get mentioned in in uh, books or even some of the professional development is this this idea of vulnerability. Uh, in that, uh, no matter how skilled an individual is, they're, they're, they have that open mindset of, of learning from, from the individuals that they're fortunate enough to coach. And so I had one individual that was just absolutely phenomenal, um, in, in really capitalizing on that approach. So, so we came from different content backgrounds, uh, and yet when he came in to coach best practice, we were, we had a common, we had a, we had a common foundation of wanting to teach kids how to acquire knowledge. Uh, whatever the vehicle may be, whether it be science or math or like in that scenario, I was teaching avid and leadership, uh, it didn't matter, um, what, what vehicle we were using. The, the idea was that we wanted to, um, basically, refine and, and grow our practice in, in teaching kids how to learn. And so when he would come in and see different things that weren't part of his his repertoire, uh, he would acknowledge it and say, wow, I, I haven't done that. Um, and I think it really, it really just accelerated um, his ability to coach me in lots of different areas. 
and I didn't feel like, um, and we may get to this, but it's there, there's this very fine line between coaching and and evaluation. And in certain systems I've seen, um, it becomes great, and so there's this this distrust or or these you know makeshift barriers that are that are up. Um, and I think in in working with him, and then in my later years getting to uh, sort of oversee him working with other educators. Uh, he was very good about dismantling those walls and, and, and being very intentional with, with the school administration in, in outlining what his role was as an instructional coach. Um, yeah, when so the I think coach it's becomes the coachy. <laughs> right, right. And I think, I think, I think there's, you know, in the perfect model, the, those two worlds, everyone's in tandem because they want what's best for kids. Um, but in reality, sometimes uh, it's a little more difficult to get where where it needs to be. And so, um, yeah, that brings me to my next point, and you kind of alluded to it. But if if the goal and purpose of coaching is because we want what's good for kids, right? Then it really shouldn't be about coaching for compliance. We should be about coaching to develop agents of change or educators who are empowered to, you know, take their classroom practices to the next level. And in more innovative schools, in schools that are really focused on student-centered practices, we see this. But that type of coaching might look a little bit different than, say, uh, where the coach is really going in and just trying to evaluate if the teacher is meeting this standard expectation and so on and so forth. Um, so I'd love to hear you unpack that a little bit. And you work in a lot of these schools that really want to transform learning to be more student-centered. So what is, yeah, what does that look like? My question to you is what does it look like when you're coaching to develop agents of change rather than just going in to try and, you know, evaluate, which should be two different things, but you and I both know they're not always, they don't, they sometimes (laughs) coexist and that, I don't believe they should, but unfortunately that's the case. So how should that work? Yeah, I think the, uh, the empowering piece is so, so huge. And, and, and I always, I always go back to like coaching. And then so when I was coaching soccer, I would take my 11 players that were on the field and maximize their strengths, uh, in order to function as a unit in terms of, of playing the best soccer that we could play. And I think, I think, True instructional coaching uh, mirrors that to a T. Like, like the the approach that that the the coach takes in in truly creating this this change agent or this this educational transformer for kids uh, really looks really looks at the idea of 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 that individual in the in the same way that we want to personalize it for kids. How are they personalizing it for that? For that teacher, that, that that they have the the privilege or the the, the honor, really, of, of getting to grow, um, it, you know, and it kind of it almost segues into this this idea. Like in my perfect world, and Adam's perfect world is a fun place, but uh, it would almost be any any individual, any educational leader who's who's transitioning into a role where they're overseen from an evaluation standpoint. Um, there should almost be some sort of non-negotiable that they are an instructional coach for for a, a period of time to really see uh, what it looks like from that angle. Uh, and so as they transition and, and become collaborative in, in these various models, however they're rolled out, um, 
they're armed with the skills to be able to support and 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 bolster that program instead mm-hmm. of slowing it down. One of the leaders that I find most inspiring is Aaron Brengard. He's at Captain Smith um, over on the West Coast in near San Jose. And without him even need to tell you, you know that he's involved in instructional rounds and coaching and developing and empowering his um, educators and knows just as much about the students as the lead teachers do. And it, it just, it's incredible to feel the culture and the climate at that school because there's some reciprocity too, right? He's developing these change, agents of change, not only in his educators, but actually in the students as well. So then you hear his teachers giving feedback and his teachers leading the way too. Uh, it's just really, really incredible. We know coaching is really helpful when educators are trying out new models. If you're enjoying this episode and want to learn more about coaching and its effects on education, be sure to listen to Season 2, Episode 55, to hear from New Tech Network coach Andrew Byros on Coaching for PBL. Don't worry about writing it down. I'll include it in the show notes and on the blog. Now back to Emily and Adam. Now back to something else you mentioned, coaching sometimes can end up taking on the coach's goals, um, but we love to see when a coach enters a space or is coaching and it's really customized to what that teacher needs or that school needs. So how do you do that? How do you make coaching customized when you're working with a partner school or an individual educator? Yeah, I think I think that's a fun starting point to um, assess or, or vet your your school goals. So so if you create in any format, whether it's a, a formalized school improvement plan that's that's mandated by the district and, and kind of driven by state expectations or whatever the scenario may be, if your school goals uh, aren't intentionally connected to to those pieces that you want your instructional coaches uh, to to deliver and support, then then there's a major disconnect. And and while I wish I could say that oh that never happens, it happens more often than not. And so so I think in in whatever format those those school goals are being created, uh, I think there needs to be really strong intentionality around around what what you're doing as a team in, in defining and, and designing those those pieces. Um, because I think when you do that, uh, I think it really lends to to what your coaching model looks like. Like I've been in, in districts where um, they've gone long uh, and been very, very intentional on, on, on the design of their coaching model. Um, and what's fun is you can go from building to building and there's a little different iteration on on how it's being implemented within that building. Um, and there's one's not better than the other, and one's not right, and one's wrong. Um, but the most successful models I've seen are directly correlated to where the building is going as a whole. Um, I think it it creates that uh, that deeper learning that 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 shared ownership of of kind of where the where the ship is going. Um, and when they're not aligned, uh, you get into that inch deep, mile wide. So you might have uh, one classroom or one teacher pursuing PDL, and, and the coach is, is supporting that. And then next door, um, they're going going long on something else. And so, so finding some common ground um, 
and I think this comes back to the structure from the very beginning of how the how the models rolled out. Um, uh, but finding that finding that common ground while still personalizing with mm-hmm. each teacher where they're at in their journey is is absolutely like just it's just massive. Um, yeah, and again, it taps into or it enhances the culture and the overall feel of that school too. Um, another thought here is we've seen a lot of coaching migrate online. So it may or may not actually be someone in that building doing some of the coaching, or it may be someone from afar that periodically visits. Um, And there's obviously pluses and deltas to uh, those experiences and the use of tech. Would love to just hear your thoughts um, and kind of where we're going with tech in the coaching space. Yeah, I think I think for me with anything, like I'm a huge fan of blended learning uh, because I think it provides that uh, sort of – it gives you some teeth in terms of, of the realities of the culture that you work in um, while at the same time giving you access to uh, innovations that may not exist within that immediate community. And so um, in, in not like skirting the question, the this idea of, of – basically recognizing and, and almost inventorying what um, what's within the wheelhouse within your direct community is, is where I would start um, and then finding means of access to other pieces that you know will enhance learning for kids in your community outside uh, it's pretty amazing in terms of, of where we've where we've gone or where or what's been kind of laid out for us or, or that we have access to. Um, but I do think, I do think there's, there's a, there's the sticking point of, of the instructional coach getting to wear multiple hats and saying, okay, great. I'm going to, we're going to go get this professional learning, uh, outside. And, and we've had some successful models in the, in buildings I've been in the past where, where a group of teachers may say, Hey, we want to do this six week webinar based web based, um, professional learning experience and we want our coach to do it with us. Um, and, and that's, that was really fun to watch. And I kind of intentionally, uh, just kind of stepped out, um, and got to be an observer of that process. And it was neat to watch it come to life in the building, um, based on learning that they got from, from individuals that were highly trained, um, but not, not directly connected with our, with our learning community. Um, and that gives a different so think, perspective, like you said. So say I want to know about in a more advanced or high quality PBL and I don't feel like it's immediately next, you know, next door to my classroom. And I can connect with another mentor educator who's doing, who are doing those things in his or her classroom. That's another way to think about the use of tech as a means of coaching. Oh, I think yes. In in every aspect of education, I think this this access to networks of individuals that are pursuing the same thing for kids uh, is something that I wish it had existed at the beginning of my career. Um, because to to develop relationships outside of your world and and get to collaborate and and learn from from where they've been or where they're at. Uh, it's just it's just neat. It expands it expands that network of of individuals with with this common goal of of better serving kids. And so um, it's just yeah, it's it's a powerful access component, which is how um, I think we talk a lot about of uh, a lot about tech innovations for for learning and for kids. Um, it's just this idea of 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 access. 
Um, yeah, and then yeah. like you and access and different approaches. So I did some coaching with pre-service teachers, and I would do both in-person visits and observations and coaching, but then also online. And so that approach worked really well for some, and it made it more accessible. I was more accessible, right, literally, and more frequently touching base with the teachers I was working with, but then also it just gave them a different form of touch point and allowed them to observe some of the things that they were doing because we did a lot of video coaching. Um, anyway, so that's kind of you. We talked about where we've been and kind of where we are now, things that you're seeing in classrooms and schools you're working in, but where do you think we're going in terms of coaching and what do you think as leaders need to know next. We're always talking about innovations and forward thinking, what's coming. So yeah, I show think, us the uh, way. Show us the way. Where are we going? Well, I think it starts I think it starts within within each system, like individual systems. So whether it be a, a large urban district or a or a small rural district, it's 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 truly highlighting what what do we value and what do we need? Um, because I think for too long we've we've just thrown darts uh, as many as we can at a board, um, and and what sticks sticks and what doesn't doesn't. And I think I think I think we just as leaders we need to be more intentional with saying uh, this is this is what our community believes is best for kids, and we are going to provide the find the best resources to grow that within within our staff. Um, I also think that it starts from from the bottom up, like many things in education, and so really, um, you know, breathing that that reflective practice into every educator, whether they're a first year teacher or they've been in the building for 25 years, in terms of okay, here's where we've been or here's where we're at. Where do we want to go, and 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 what do you need? Um, and I think this can be asked from multiple vantage points. It could be asked from a building leadership side. It could be asked as an instructional coach um, in determining where where they're going next. Um, I think we talk a lot about um, advancements with AI and AR and VR and uh, various platforms that are getting better and better in terms of being tools for students to use um, to maximize learning. Um, and I think that uh, there's some really fun educator initiatives out there that that not only are building skill sets, but also increasing that network that we talked about a little bit ago um, mm-hmm. of of these communities of educators who have like like focus of growth. And so um, at my last school I was at, we had a we had a really neat opportunity where a, a few different teachers. Um, traveled through the Microsoft Innovative Educator Series and, and were receiving badges for different things. Um, and it was fun. Like probably my biggest highlight or reflection in that experience was watching their confidence grow to the point where they were coming back and delivering it, not in an instructional coaching role, um, certainly by approach, but they didn't have the title of instructional coach, but they were then delivering some of those components to their colleagues in tandem with our with our instructional coaches in our building. So, so you're you're basically expanding this army uh, of instructional coaches. Um, mm-hmm. I use it a lot, and I think I'll just continue to because it just makes makes sense in my mind. But but in one of Daniel Pink's books, he talks about these six lessons, uh, and it's this think strengths, not weaknesses. And, and it's like etched in my brain. It's on my wall in my office. Um, and I think 
from an instructional coaching side as, as we continue to create better models to better serve teachers and empower them to serve kids. It's this idea of going through and being very, very specific in identifying what strength do, does teacher A possess um, and then building their abilities and their confidence to share that with that community and beyond um, and continuing that process until it's basically this massive community of, of shared learning. Um, and rock stars me- and superheroes. Yeah. But superheroes Absolutely. in their own way. I also, so you took those six lessons from Pink, but I now have found four lessons about coaching throughout listening to you over the course of the past 20 minutes or so. One, coaching from the start and throughout your career is key. Coaching is a norm and that we all should be reflecting. Coaching is about the community getting better. Yes, the individual, but also about the community and the students. And then there's this necessity and importance on being intentional about why we're engaging in coaching and why it's going to help us reach our goals. So there you go. We just branded it. The Adam Kulas for coaching ahas right there. Sounds good. <laughs> Adam, thank you so much. Is there anything else you want to share with our audience? We'll make sure to include those lessons in the show notes. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Uh, always fun. Would love to, uh, yeah, continue these conversations. Yeah, and where can we find you if people would like to talk to you about coaching and learn a little bit more about the work that you're currently doing coaching in schools? Uh, gettingsmart.com. You could follow me on Twitter, Adam Kulas, uh, at Adam Kulas. Thanks so much. My pleasure. Thanks, Adam. Thanks for listening today. If you haven't already, check out the Getting Smart podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe and rate us. And for all things innovations and learning, check out our blog on gettingsmart.com. For the Getting Smart podcast, this is Jessica signing off.